Thank you for checking out this sermon video here at Hope Church. We are so excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. If you're joining us for the first time, I wanna be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a very short form for you to fill out so that we can just get to know you better. The message you're about to watch is part of our current sermon series, Proverbs, Everlasting Wisdom for Everyday Life. Once again, thank you for joining us. Enjoy the sermon. I want to begin today by putting some pictures up on a screen. And as I put these pictures up on the screen, I want you to try to answer this question. What do all of these things that I'm about to put up here have in common? There's a common thread among all of these objects that I'm about to show you, and I want you to try to figure out what it is. So here we go. You ready? Scissors, a sword, a pencil, your mind, an axe, and then the last one's a guitar, but it really is about a skill. Can be the skill of playing the guitar, a skill of throwing a shot put, whatever that skill may be. But here's the pictures. Scissors, a sword, a pencil, your mind, an axe, and a skill. What is it that all of those things have in common? Anybody got a guess? That's it. They all have to be sharpened. Every one of those items has to be sharpened. I looked up the word sharpen this week in a dictionary and a lot of different definitions like to cause, to improve, but, but I wrote kind of a new definition with kind of all the definitions I read together. Here's the definition that I want to give you of the word sharpen. It is the process of making an object more useful for its designed purpose. That's what it means to sharpen something. Let's go back to the pictures. Take a pair of scissors. What do you do when you sharpen a scissor? You are making the scissors more useful for what they've been designed to do, which is to cut a piece of paper. If it's a sword and you sharpen it, you're making it, it's a process of making it more useful for its designed purpose, which is to engage in battle. If it's a pencil, the purpose is writing and you sharpen the pencil to make it more useful for accomplishing its purpose. Every one of these, the mind, the ax, the skin, skill, all of these things get sharpened to make them more useful for their designed purpose. Say, so why are you showing us that? Here's why. At the beginning of June, we gave you a challenge as a church. And that challenge is to daily read along with us through the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. We've asked you daily to read the proverb that corresponds to the day of the month. So whatever the date is, you're reading that chapter in the book of Proverbs. And we've asked you to do that through the months of June and July. And then we've even challenged you to do that for the next 12 months to build that discipline in your life. If you've been doing that with us, this past week, you've read Proverbs chapter 15 all the way to Sunday, Proverbs chapter 28. And those seven chapters in Proverbs, the writer has referred to this idea of sharpening. But he didn't refer to it as the sharpening of objects like we looked at on the screen. As he referred to sharpening, he was talking about us as individuals. 
It's in Proverbs chapter 27. I'm going to put this verse up on the screen, verse 17. And I want to talk to you tonight out of this one verse of Scripture. Proverbs 27, 17. Here's what it says. Iron sharpens iron. So one man, one person, one follower of Jesus sharpens another. The writer of Proverbs teaches us that as followers of Jesus, we are sharpened by relationships with one another. Let me give it to you in a big idea that I want to unpack tonight. Here's the big idea. A wise way to live is in fellowship with others. A wise way to live is in fellowship with others. So if you look at the contrast of that statement, the contrast is a foolish way to live is apart from fellowship with others. Wisdom teaches us that we need relationships. And here's the bottom line. God created us for relationships. That's why he made us as human beings. He created us for relationships. First and foremost, he created us for relationship with himself. And it doesn't matter if you're in the room with us here or if you're watching online. The truth of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible is that God made you for a relationship with himself and God desires a fellowship relationship with you. Now, the story of the Bible tells us that we've all sinned against God. And because of our sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. But even in our sin, God loves us so much that the story of the Bible is he sent his only begotten son into the world to take all of our sin on himself. On the cross, Jesus died for our sin and he rose again from the dead so that you and I can now put our faith and trust in Jesus and be born again into a what? Relationship with God you and I can have a relationship if you're watching this online or if you're here in the room and you say man I don't I don't have a relationship with God but I'd sure like to talk to somebody about a relationship with God there's actually a number that you can text it's the number 94090 you can grab your smartphone right now and just text the number 94090 and text this phrase Jesus follower and we'll have somebody reach out to you And have a conversation with you about how you can have a relationship with God. But beyond that, God created us to enjoy our relationship with Him in fellowship with other people. You see, our relationship with God was never designed to be lived out in isolation from other people. Our relationship with God was designed to be lived out in fellowship with one another. One of the writers who speaks to this is a friend, a man named Rick Warren. He's uh, had an influence in our church here in Las Vegas. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, said it this way. We are created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family. And none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. Here's the bottom line. We need each other. If you believe that, say amen. We, I mean, you're here because you believe we need each other. Sharpening, this principle in Proverbs, is how through relationships, 
God uses us to make one another more useful for our ultimate purpose, which is the fulfillment of God's mission on the earth. So I want to give you three statements tonight about three truths about sharpening. Here's the first one. Sharpening happens together, not apart. Let me try to illustrate it. The Bible, when it speaks in Proverbs about, and don't get nervous, all right, I'm picking up a couple of little mini swords. Uh, I bought these in Egypt years ago on a uh, mission trip that I was going to Egypt on, and some of you looked a little nervous when you saw me pick these up. You should have seen the security agents at the airport, the look on their face. Um, but but in, in ancient times, what the writer of Proverbs is talking about, they had iron weapons and iron tools. And the way they sharpened them was by bringing them together. Iron sharpening iron. I can hold these like this all day long, and they are not going to sharpen. I can have them in in proximity like this all day long, but they're not. It's only when they come together that the writer of Proverbs says iron sharpens iron. That's the principle that we're talking about. The same is true about you and I as a community of believers. As we come together, as we live out our relationship with God together with each other, God supernaturally by his spirit works in us to sharpen one another. This is why the writer of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, he commands us to not neglect being together. Let me show it to you in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now that phrase, let us consider, it sounds a little bit passive, but if you understand the Greek text and if you understand the tense of verbs in the Greek language, the way this is written, this is not a suggestion, let us consider. It's actually an imperative. It's a command that you and I as Christians are to obey. We are to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That idea of stimulate, it's the same principle of this word sharpening. We're to sharpen one another. We're to stimulate we're to we're to provoke we're to incite in each other love and good deeds how do we do that look what he says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some but he says encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near There's a dangerous lie in American Christianity. And that dangerous lie is that you are the church all by yourself. You've even heard people maybe say that it sounds super, I am the church. Listen to me. No, you're not. The word church in the Greek language is the Greek word ekklesia. It literally means the called out assembly. Now, here's what we've learned through this COVID-19 experience. The church is not a building, amen? People say, I'm gonna go to the church. No, this is not the church. The church is not a building, but the church is a people together. 
the church is not scattered individuals into this contemporary lie that you're the church by yourself. No, the church is a gathered assembly that's been called out through the gospel. We've been reconciled to God and because of our reconciliation with God, we've been made right with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and this sharpening that is supposed to take place does not happen apart. It happens as we come together. Let me just be totally transparent. The hardest part of COVID-19 has been this biblical reality. Say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. As pastors, the weight, and I hope you hear the emphasis in that word, weight, the weight of balancing the biblical conviction that our spiritual vitality depends and demands being together in worship, weighing that against our unwavering commitment for the physical safety and health of our fellowship has been soul crushing at times for your pastors. You need to know that your pastors, because we believe convictionally that we as the church need to be together, but we also believe responsibly that we're to shepherd in a way that's safe and responsible. And the balancing of that tension has been soul crushing for us in times. It, it's been no small burden for your pastors. And listen, I respect that so many people in our fellowship have opinions about how we should do this. You have no idea how many people have opinions about how we should do this. But I say this with all sincerity. You may have opinions, but we have accountability to God. And I'm just telling you, there is nobody who has stayed up at night longer than the pastors of this church before God trying to weigh out the tension of those two real convictions that God's given us as pastors. Being together is essential. It's essential for us in our spiritual health. And we've labored through this decision-making process and you've watched it play out on video. But here's why this matters so much to us. Sharpening happens together not apart. One of the hard things of walking through what we've walked through as a fellowship over the last several weeks is we've had to do it in many ways in the echo chambers of our own family. And I think one of the motivations for us to begin to do a live small audience for our recording is I just felt like our church, we just needed to see each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ from cultures and colors and countries all over the world that love the same Jesus, that worship the same God, that have embraced the same mission, that are grounded in the same word. We just needed to see one another. The Bible word for this being together is fellowship. Fellowship means to partner or to share in the life of another. The Greek word for fellowship, if you know any Greek word in the Bible, you probably know this Greek word. It's the Greek word koinonia. The problem is most Christians in America think the word koinonia means donuts. <laughs> because that's what we think fellowship is. It's donuts and coffee and casseroles, right? 
But the word koinonia means something a whole lot more than donuts and coffee and casseroles. It means to share in the life. Let me give you a definition of the word fellowship. It's living out our relationship with God together with other believers. And here's what we learn in Proverbs. There are things about God you and I will never learn apart from fellowship with one another. We can be like this all day long. But as we come together in fellowship, there are things that we learn from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ that we cannot learn. I need people in my life with two things, the relational equity and the spiritual maturity to sharpen me into the man that God wants me to be. You can't have that without fellowship. You can't just show up here on Sunday morning and sit in the crowd and have relational equity with someone that has the spiritual maturity to sharpen you the way you need to be sharpened. Listen, I I am not all the man that I'm supposed to be, but I thank God that I am not the man that I used to be. I am in a process of being conformed to the image of Christ, but that process will not be completed without fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sharpening happens together, not apart. Number two. Sharpening happens intentionally, not accidentally. I'm going to grab my swords again. That's not going to get it done. You don't just drop them down and they accidentally sharpen one another, right? No, it doesn't happen accidentally. This is not going to happen by osmosis. There has to be an intentionality in grabbing those and bringing them together. Intentional. The New Testament reveals much about this intentionality. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, there are over 40 one another's, 40 different commands in Scripture with that phrase one another in it that speak to us about how to be intentional as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give you some examples. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Accept one another. Give preference to one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. What are all those things? Here's what all those things are. Those are intentionality. It's intentionally in fellowship, seeking out to sharpen one another by living out the gospel that's brought us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's another one in the New Testament. Greet one another. Now, I know right now that's a little tough. We don't even know how to do it, right? It's like, do we do this? Do we do this? Is it like air fist bump? But here's what I want to challenge you to do, Hope Church. When we are able to all be back together, let's be intentional about going out of our way every time we gather to greet somebody that doesn't look like us. You know what that is? That's intentionality. It's intentionally engaging brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that demonstrates the reconciling power of the gospel. A lot of people who come to our church have never known Jesus. People that have known Jesus largely have come from churches that are homogenous. They're usually one culture churches, black churches, white churches, Hispanic churches, Filipino churches. So a lot of people come into our church and it's like, what's going on in here? Because it looks like what heaven's going to look like. Amen. But here's how we make that easier. Those of us who are already here, 
We go out of our way to just greet one another. Particularly when it's somebody that may look different than us or act different than us. We go out of our way to greet one another. But this is not just taught in the New Testament. The writer of Proverbs teaches this as well. Four times in Proverbs 27, Proverbs gives us some examples of what it looks like to be intentional in living out our relationship with God and fellowship with each other. I'm going to give you four statements. Number one, we should encourage one another. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2. Look what it says. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. There's a whole lot of people that could pay attention to that. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. You say, where do you get encouragement out of this? Listen, you know what the word praise means at its root in Hebrew? Here's what it means. To shine. The word praise, when it's directed towards God, praise is about us pointing people's attention to Him. It's shining the light on His character, His goodness, His greatness. But here, it's not talking about praising God. It's talking about praising each other. What does that mean? To praise another is to be intentional about taking the light off of you putting the light on somebody else in such a way that breathes life into them. What if we were all intentional to look for ways to praise another, to encourage one another? The message translates this verse this way. Don't call attention to yourself. Let others do that for you. Paul writes it this way in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, listen to what he said. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Paul admonishes us that one of the ways we're to be intentional about sharpening each other is by encouraging each other. Sometimes I think we think sharpening is always painful. It's always difficult. But the writer of Proverbs here is teaching us that one of the ways we can sharpen each other is by being encouraging to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul didn't just write about this. Paul experienced it. Why don't you listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and see if you can relate to the Apostle Paul in this verse. Listen to what he said. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. Here's what that means. We were tired. Anybody tired right now? We face conflict from every direction. How about this next phrase? Boy, this sounds familiar. With battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Anybody been living there over the last 8, 10, 12 weeks? A lot of stuff going on on the outside, a lot of uncertainty on the inside. This is Paul. This is the one that sometimes we look at like he's got a cape and an S on his shirt, like he's the superhero of the faith. And Paul says, man, when I got to Macedonia, I was flat tired. There were battles all around us, battles on the outside. I was afraid on the inside. And then look what he says. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by what? The arrival of Titus. God brought a brother into Paul's life to encourage him. William Arnott, a pastor from the 1800s, 
theologian, listen to what he said about this time in Paul's life. He said, while he acknowledges God as the source of all consolation, he confesses with equal distinctness that the instrument which applied it was the face of a friend. Hey, what if we just got intentional as brothers and sisters in Christ to look for ways to encourage one another? You know what that is in the world we're living in right now? That's radical. The world's not looking to encourage one another. What if we as brothers and sisters in Christ begin to model a different way? Encouraging Israel. It happened for me this week. I kind of had a tough day this week and was just dealing with some stuff. And I got a text this week. I'll leave it anonymous, but I'm going to read you the text. This is what it said. Been thinking about you and the whole leadership group at Hope a lot lately. I know you're under a lot of pressure and just wanted to let you know my wife and I are praying for you and all the pastors. Very tough time to be a leader. Ironically, the diversity that makes hope great actually makes it harder. But I know God will continue to guide you well. Smiley face emoji. Let us know if you need anything at all. We'll keep praying. You are all doing a great job in a difficult time. Now listen, the word, listen, listen, listen. I'm not looking for a pleasure. The wording of that was simple. But I'm telling you, when I read it, I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol. <laughs> it breathed life into my soul and encouraged me. Let me ask you a question. Who do you need to encourage today? Maybe God put somebody on your heart right now and you just need to text them. Maybe you need to send them an email. Maybe you need to go really old school and send them a letter or a card in the mail. Just to encourage them. Second thing, we should challenge one another. We should challenge one another. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. Listen to these words. Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Listen to the beauty of this next sentence. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You hear the words in that verse? Rebuke. <laughs> Anybody in here like being rebuked? If you do, you got more issues than we can deal with in this service. Amen? Nobody likes being rebuked. Rebuke means corrected. The Hebrew word here literally means to correct with speech. It means somebody is speaking into your life about something that's not right and addressing it to bring correction. The word wounds here is a word that means pain with a purpose. I have a note written down in my Bible. Wisdom listens to the correction of people who love Jesus and love me. Here's the opposite of that. It's foolish not to. Listen, if somebody who loves Jesus and loves you speaks a word of correction into your life, here's the best thing to do. Just listen. Just listen. Take it before the Lord. Listen, it's not going to always be right. But usually, here's what I found. In every one of those situations, there's at least some kernel of truth in that that God wants to use to sharpen me personally. 
Here's what this verse teaches us. Fellowship doesn't always feel good. I'm going to say that again. Fellowship doesn't always feel good. Especially in a multicultural church. You've heard me say it before. Being in a multicultural church means we're all going to be uncomfortable in moments. That's just the reality. Some of you heard Pastor Stan just speak from his heart. It was uncomfortable for some in our fellowship. That's okay. As brothers and sisters in Christ, it's okay for us to share our hearts and our perspectives and develop empathy for one another. To learn how to listen and understand the feelings of somebody else. Somebody wrote this one time and I thought it was so true. He's a pastor in Brooklyn, New York. Listen to what he said. Pastoring a multi-ethnic church often means it's also multi-theological and multi-political. That makes it multi-difficult. <laughs> Every time I read it, I want to scream, Amen! It's true, right? Listen, when Teddy and I first started working together, 15, 16 years ago, it was uncomfortable. Teddy came from the all-black church in inner city Camden, New Jersey. I came from the all-white church in small-town Alabama. There was not anything about how we did church that was alike, except we used the same book. I'm serious. Like, for example, the church that I grew up in, I grew up in a church where when we were going to sing a song, here's what they did. A song leader walked up to the pulpit and he said, take out the hymn book. And he told us what number to turn to in the book. We knew exactly what number in the book we were supposed to turn to. And not only that, if there were four or five verses, he told us before we started singing how many verses and which verses. He said, here's turn to number 325. We're going to sing the first, the second, and the last verse, meaning everybody in the room knew when the song started and everybody in the room knew when the song stopped. <laughs> and then God brought Teddy Johnson into my life. <laughs> Y'all don't know this. The song we sang after standing out prayed wasn't even the song we supposed to sing. He'll be singing a song, write a song while he's singing a song, and then sing the song that he just wrote. Some people say, where'd all that, where'd all that gray hair come from, Pastor? I'm telling you where a lot of it came from, Teddy Johnson. But let me tell you what it did. Teddy Johnson has sharpened me more in the area of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God in worship than any other human being in my life. But at many times, he had to challenge me. I had to listen. James said it this way. Everyone must be quick to, please say the next word out loud. Let, let, let's just say it one more time. Because we think it says quick to speak. That is not what it says. Quick to hear. <laughs> Slow. To what? Quick to what? 
Slow to what? Quick to hear. Slow to speak. And then here's the third one. Slow to anger. You know what that demands? Here's what that demands. When you hear a brother or sister in Christ say something, don't assume the worst. Assume the best. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Sit down with them. Have a conversation. Hear their heart. Cultivate empathy. And learn to move forward as brothers and sisters in Christ. Number three, we should counsel one another. Proverbs 27, verse 9, look what it says. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Here's how we sharpen one another. We counsel one another. The word counsel means advice. It's providing direction in a decision or a course of action. One of the dominant themes, if you've been reading Proverbs with us, this is not new, right? I mean, in almost every chapter, Proverbs speaks about being, being those that seek counsel, those that listen to others. As followers of Jesus, one of the dominant themes in this book, one of the dominant takeaways is the wisdom in making decisions of seeking counsel. I'm probably going to preach an entire weekend just on this principle, the wisdom. Nothing from Proverbs has changed my life and protected me personally like the practice of seeking wise counsel in making decisions. But you and I got to be intentional about two things. Number one, you got to be intentional about having relationships in your life you can seek wise counsel from. And then secondly, when you need it, you got to ask for it. And then when you hear it, you got to listen to it. But we sharpen each other through counsel. Here's the last one. We should do life with one another. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. The writer of Proverbs here is teaching us the wisdom of being in close proximity, being in relationship with one another. I'll go back to these one more time. I can sharpen them today, but that doesn't mean that it's over, right? They can have to be in a continuous process of sharpening. The more I use these, the more I have to sharpen them. As brothers and sisters in Christ, this isn't a one and done thing. We got to do life together. That's what the, the writer of Proverbs here is teaching us, that we're not to forsake. The word forsake means to abandon or to leave. We got to do life together. It's one thing to be a multicolored church where we come together and we all worship together, different colors and cultures of people. It's something else to be a multicultural church where we begin to do life together and invest in one another's lives. Is that going to be uncomfortable at times? Sure, it's going to be uncomfortable at times. But here's my prayer for Hope Church. My prayer is that the dinner tables of the families in Hope Church begin to reflect the worship center on Sunday morning at Hope Church. That we do life with our brothers and sisters in Christ that we enjoy fellowship, that we break bread, that we hear one another. Sharpening happens together, not apart. Sharpening happens intentionally, not accidentally. Here's the last one. It's quick. Sharpening happens over time, not overnight. 
I said it a moment ago. Just because we did it today, they're going to have to be sharpened again tomorrow, right? You see, this thing of sharpening is a process. That's why the writer here says iron sharpens iron, and the tense of that word is ongoing, continuous. It's not momentary. It's a lifestyle. Here's what that means. we got to be committed to this as brothers and sisters in Christ for the long haul. We're in it because we're family, right? You don't walk out on family. We're in it. Highs and lows, good days, bad days. We're in it. We're going to allow Christ in us to sharpen one another. Paul writes about it. I'll close with this verse. Colossians chapter 1. These are actually my life verses. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man, every person complete in Christ. But then listen what he says. For this purpose I labor. Here's what that means. It's not overnight, it's over time. That word labor is a Greek word that means all the energy that it takes to completely exhaust you. That's what discipleship in fellowship looks like. It's exhausting at times. But Paul says, I labor striving according to his power which mightily works within me. We depend on the Christ, on the spirit of Christ within us to work through us. Why? Because we need each other. Let's pray together today. Father, we come before you this gathered moment of worship both in a room and for many people online. Some in Las Vegas, some in other parts of the world. And God, in this moment, we cry out to you.